The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hamelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored to bring back our guest from last week, Dr. Jennifer Smilowitz. She is the Associate Director of the Human Studies Research Program for the Foods for Health Institute at the University of California at Davis. She is also the Director of Scientific and Strategic Development for the International Milk Genomics Consortium, which we will be discussing today. Dr. Smilowitz holds a doctoral degree in nutritional biology with an emphasis in endocrinology from the University of California in Davis. She has investigated the relationships between diet and the environment on breast milk and infant health. Her research is translational, which means her focus is to bring discoveries from the lab bench to the kitchen table. Dr. Smilowitz is especially interested in the first 1,000 days from pregnancy through a child's second birthday as a critical period in life when diet and the environment largely influence long-lasting health. Welcome back, Dr. Smilowitz. I knew we had to have a part two together. Thank you, Melinda. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Well, last week we spoke about the importance of mother's milk in the infant gut microbiome and this wonderful, unique relationship. And I'll provide a link to that program so that people can hear a little bit of the part one as well. We spoke about the magic, really, of human milk sugars, or HMOs, which are a prebiotic that feed the microbes in the infant gut to make that gut as healthy and strong as possible. We know that 70 to 80% of our immune system is based in our guts. And in this world where we have so much gut dysbiosis and autoimmune disease, focusing on infant health and the microbiome and milk is so important. One of the things you said last week that I thought we should bring forth for our part two discussion is you mentioned that breast milk is dynamic and responsive. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, it's absolutely a fascinating biological system. So I don't just think of breast milk as a fluid with vitamins and minerals and other nutrients. I think of it as a complex system that links the mother and her environment and her diet and her genetics and her health to her baby. And the way we describe milk as as responsive and dynamic is, well, one, it's dynamic because it changes. It's different. So when a baby is put onto the breast and starts to suckle, the first milk is called the foremilk, and that milk is different than the mid-milk or the hind milk, which the baby will will suckle and, and receive later on in that nursing period. So foremilk, for example, is more abundant in sugar and and minerals and water, and it really provides the baby with hydration. And as the baby continues to consume mother's milk, she's then receiving fattier milk, which is the hind milk, which satiates the baby, which provides her with building blocks for brain and nervous system. So it's dynamic. It's very different. It changes. It's different from breast to breast. It, It changes during the feed. And it's also, it's different in the sense of, from the day to night. So, for example, milk that is 
fed to babies at night has higher levels of, of hormone called melatonin, which is known to help babies sleep and has lower levels of melatonin in the day, which is perfect because you want babies to sleep at night, not sleep at day in the day. So it's dynamic in that sense. It's different and it changes. So it's responsive to the mother's environment. For example, if a mother is vaccinated for flu, then the antibodies that she makes in response to that flu vaccine will actually be found in her milk and will offer some protection to her baby through her milk. Same thing if when mothers or babies are sick, there's some communication that occurs between baby and the mother's immune system that's found in the mammary gland that explains to the mammary gland, this baby is sick, let's make more antibodies specific to whatever is causing that illness, say a pathogen. So it's constantly changing and responding to the needs of the baby and being sort of a conduit between baby, mother, and and their environment, their shared environment. Right. And I think what we're learning more, and we'll dive into more examples of this, is this two-way communication so that the baby's saliva communicates with the nipple environment so that the mother and baby are working in tandem to protect its health. And one of the speakers that you had at your recent Milk Genomics Symposium, it was just a series of lectures. It was all online this year because of the pandemic. But the positive side of that is that so many more of us got to hear these lectures that we might not have otherwise even thought about going to. And one of the lectures had to do with COVID-19. And the lecture that I listened to was a researcher in New York who had looked at mothers who were breastfeeding who had tested positive for COVID-19. And lo and behold, their breast milk contained antibodies. Yeah, so actually, there were three talks on SARS-CoV-2 or virus that causes COVID-19. One was Rebecca Powell from Ekan School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Another was by Veronique Demers from Medilac, a company that basically it works on a milk bank. And then Shelley McGuire from Idaho State University. Now, Rebecca Powell, what she did was she went to homes of women who had tested positive for COVID-19 but were no longer actively ill. So the virus was no longer active, but they had responded in the sense that they had produced antibodies, of course, in their blood, but they, she found antibodies specific to SARS-CoV-2 in their milk. Now, Shelley McGuire found the same thing. She found antibodies in women who were currently, at the moment, when she collected milk, they were still positive for SARS-CoV-2 or had COVID-19. But what was even more telling was that there was no presence of the virus in the milk. So milk was providing protection through these antibodies in mothers who were actively ill or positive for COVID-19 and who were convalescent for COVID-19, so they no longer were actively positive for COVID-19. So breast milk was providing the antibodies that would neutralize the virus, and virus was not present in breast milk. And that is really important to stress, that it's safe to feed babies, breast milk from mothers who are positive for COVID-19. Absolutely. And I think that is a huge comfort to women because, of course, we would worry about that. We'd want to protect our babies. So just knowing that we're not going to transmit the virus through our breast milk, and oh, by the way, we're going to be offering our babies some protection. And I thought it was interesting that some of the researchers even thought that those antibodies in breast milk 
could be used therapeutically outside the baby. So as another treatment, for example, maybe even being better than the convalescent plasma. Right. Yeah. That was Rebecca Powell's original goal was to collect antibodies from milk in women who are convalescent to see if there's neutralization capacity against the virus. And she was able to show that. It's a really phenomenal and novel idea. This is where the International Milk Genomics Consortium, the IMGC, that I'm a director for, we're a scientific society, and our goal is to try to advance the field of milk and lactation to really understand lactation for the application of human health or for human health in other respects. And this is an exact representation of where you can look at breast milk or lactation and understand how can it be protective and how can you apply it in other circumstances. For example, from convalescent women, you can actually use it for medicinal purposes for other people. It's Mm -hmm. quite fascinating. It is. And I'm really glad you brought up the Milk Genomics Consortium because I want to give that group a big plug for people to understand the fundamental importance of breast milk to improve the human condition. And this was actually part of the closing remarks that the researchers really came together and showed how if only our National Institutes of Health put more of an emphasis on making breastfeeding a priority for our society. Absolutely. You know, the lifelong health starts with mothers and babies. Mothers and babies are not separate. They're connected. And we need to understand how they're connected and how to feed them both. We need to prepare mothers prior to pregnancy to enhance their health. So if they have metabolic disease, that will impair their ability to lactate or thus feed their babies but also they're passing on their genetic malaise in the sense and to their baby. So we need to make sure that we prioritize the health of the mother before pregnancy, during pregnancy, during lactation, and then to continue that until at least the child's third year of life. Of course, we should continue to support health along the entire trajectory of life, but really the first few years of life is so critical for establishing a healthy life long term. Mm -hmm. And what we eat is really important in establishing that healthy trajectory, especially in infants as they are developing an immune system and their brain and their, their spinal cord, their entire, their immune system, their microbiome. Milk delivering this biological system, this complex of complexity of building blocks is nourishing, it's educating, it protects, it develops, it communicates. It's not just like any other food, like it's not just food with various nutrients that are single nutrients, say like a milkshake that you might add or a protein powder shake you might put together and try to nourish yourself. These molecules are delivered in milk in such a complex way that provides the building blocks that are ready to go and to be assembled and available to the various tissues that are requiring that nourishment or the protection or development. And it's so unfortunate that in our country anyway, so many women do not have access to paid parental leave, for example, or adequate paid parental leave. I know in some countries, women get six months or a year, where here in the United States, is it three months that women get? Or does that depend on your employer? It depends on your employer. And it's I've seen two weeks, six weeks, 
three months if you're lucky in this country. And so not only do we not receive paid parental leave, which is absolutely an impairment to our economic prosperity, but we don't receive the support and education in lactation. So I'm a lactation educator and I'm a milk scientist. And I had my second baby in June and I struggled and it all came to me with my first child, how difficult it was to breastfeed. And I am an expert. You would call me an expert in this field. And I had trouble because it is not intuitive to breastfeed. It really requires support and education. And so I was able to find the support. I went out of my way and I found lactation support. I had to pay for it out of pocket. I was really stressed because I felt my child was not going to eat. And he it was really difficult to get him to nurse, to latch. We had all these complicated issues. And so I had to pay for it out of pocket. I went four to five times. I had support from lactation consultants on multiple occasions. Now, so if I had trouble, can you imagine if, you know, any other person who's not educated in this field or who does not have access to lactation support at the tips of their fingers? It's impossible. And so breastfeeding is going to be very difficult. And it's not going to be an opportunity or an easy choice for them to make if they're not given the support. And so there's a model that we use at UC Davis in my studies where mothers who enroll in my studies are provided with lactation support four times during the duration of the studies that we offer. So first is prenatal. When a woman is pregnant, she needs to know what to expect. It's going to be difficult, but these are things to be aware of. Should you have a pump? This is how a pump works. What is latching? How would you want the child to latch? How do you avoid sore nipples? What should you do as soon if you have a C-section? Should you start manually expressing? What if you have gestational diabetes? Gestational diabetes, obesity and overweight, these sort of slow down what we call copious milk production. This is when your milk comes in. So mothers need to know at least an hour and a half of information when they're pregnant. You know, like this is what you need to know. These are the tools to go into labor. Think about how to feed your baby. And then there are all these other things that happen. So number one is milk has to come in. Baby needs to receive colostrum. So mothers need help in how to get that colostrum into baby. Some babies don't nurse very well. They might have a complication. So mothers need to learn how to hand express and then how to feed that colostrum to her baby with a syringe. Now, as soon as mothers start to remove milk, either by nursing their babies or pumping or hand expressing, more milk will come in. So it's all about supply and demand. The more you remove, the more you produce. So it's really important that mothers receive lactation support at the hospital. But when they leave the hospital, say on day two postnatal, then they think, okay, what next? You know, it's not working today. What do I do? So we need support at least on day three. We found that day three is a really good time because the milk starts to come in around that time and mothers may get really engorged and may not know how to feed their babies when they're engorged. And then we find that day seven, when copious milk production has come through, and again, engorgement is another issue, we need to provide more support, at least on day seven, and again, on day 14, when babies usually return to their birth weight around that time. So there are all these various times, and mothers need extensive support ongoing. It's not just one time at the hospital and see you goodbye. They need support throughout the entire period until the baby and mother are on basically a a path towards successful lactation. 
Exactly. Dr. Smilowitz, let me take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Dr. Jennifer Smilowitz, the Associate Director of the Human Studies Research Program for the Foods for Health Institute at UC Davis. She is also the Director of Scientific and Strategic Development for the International Milk Genomics Consortium. I wanted to mention that I, like you, and I'm in my 60s now, but when I gave birth also, I needed support. I didn't know what I was doing. My mother hadn't breastfed me. There was a big push at the time for infant formula. Either we were told that it was superior to breast milk or we were told that it was a, you know, like a Coke or Pepsi choice. Either one. If you don't want to breastfeed, no big deal. You can just feed your baby formula as if they were the same thing. And my own daughter now that she has had a baby and all of her friends or many of her friends are in that same cohort of delivering their first children, they all have expressed concern about how to get breastfeeding right. They all recognize what a challenge it is. And if we do nothing else in the next four years of this new administration, let us at least make some improvement in terms of providing parental leave and making sure that lactation consulting, making sure you have access to the support you need, is available for all women who want it and need it without having to pay extra because many women, as you say, you had to pay out of pocket. Many women don't have those resources. So if we could just shift our priorities to making sure that breastfeeding was first and foremost, recognizing the importance for long-term health, we would be much better off as a society, I believe. I absolutely agree. And this is why I'm focused on, for the International Milk Genomics Consortium, I'm focused on a couple campaigns. One campaign is to provide continuing education recognition points, these are called SERPs, to lactation consultants who complete the virtual IMGC 2020 symposium that you had attended. And so these are all recorded sessions from the 34 speakers and the specific talks on breast milk because it's really important that lactation consultants are up to date on milk science because they are the representative between mother and milk science. They're the ones who really have the connections with mothers, and they we really need to make sure that they're up to date in milk science. And the second campaign is to educate other stakeholders, such as physicians, healthcare practitioners. So unfortunately, in this country, doctors, they do take a course on what they call lactation, but it's breast cancer. <laughs> I have to tell you, breast cancer and lactation are not related. <laughs> so not in the same sense of lactation is we're feeding babies and breast cancer is a disease. Lactation is not a disease. And so I would love to offer medical credit to physicians or other health practitioners, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and nurses credit so that they can complete these health milk science courses. So they're aware of the importance of breast milk and breastfeeding. And the third campaign is to partner with different organizations who provide lactation education online and to make it free and accessible to mothers. So at least we can provide them with free prenatal lactation support online. Mm -hmm. Now, when women come home from the hospital, or maybe they're having even home birth, but is there any counseling that automatically 
goes with the woman or how does this work exactly? I think it's probably very much dependent on the setting. So if a woman is in a hospital setting, will she automatically see a lactation consultant? Is that part of the birth program that hospitals have? And are the lactation consultants then, if they're certified, do they have to receive so many hours of continuing education? Right. Okay. So the amount of support a hospital or birthing center would provide is dependent on that particular location. So there are designations like there is baby-friendly hospitals, and those tend to be more supportive and they provide lactation support. But at the same time, it's not always automatic. So say a mother has delivered her baby and a postpartum nurse will provide her with care, People say, oh, you know, do you need some help with lactation? That mother could say, yes, I'm interested. And so then she will bring in a lactation consultant who's certified, who works at the hospital, or that nurse herself could be a lactation consultant too and provide her with support. So uh, readjusting the baby, giving her tips, explaining how to do things, how to get the baby to latch, and she'll go about her day and continue seeing other patients, and then she'll come back and check on the patient. If a mother's like, you know, I'm not really interested, or I don't really know, you know, there's not a lot of encouragement because, again, this is a mother's choice to determine how to feed her baby. So there's always a little bit, there's a delicate balance with how much do you encourage because, again, it's a mother's choice. But I feel like it's not really equal footing a mother to choose between breastfeeding and formula. Like you said, it's not Coke or Pepsi. It's really... If mother knows how invaluable breast milk is and that it's not just a bag of nutrients, it's not just a fluid that contains a couple nutrients and similar to formula, but that is, it is tremendously, it's a world of a difference. It's like in another universe. Then she might put in the effort or she might be interested. And it also depends on culture. If in her culture, if breastfeeding is not important or maybe it's frowned upon, she may not pursue it, or if her spouse or partner is not supportive, she may not pursue it. You know, there's a lot of other things that go on to breastfeeding. There's a lot of pressure, there's culture, there's socioeconomic status, there's education. And so hospitals will provide some lactation support, but I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough to have some support on day one, day two, postnatal, and then leave without enough information to continue when you get home, you think, okay, now what do I do? Exactly. That was great. I had someone help me. And you don't feel like you're quite equipped with the tools and the knowledge and the skill because mom is not home or aunt is not there. Like I think in other societies where families live in, not in a nuclear family, but in an extended family, there's much more support. You have an aunt, you have a sister, a mother, even a neighbor might stop by. But here we live in these very isolated nuclear environments, and I feel like we actually don't get the support we need as a result of that, and at least in part. Yeah. In fact, one of your speakers was an evolutionary anthropologist, and I was so surprised to see she was reporting on Himba women. I'm assuming that's in Africa, where Uh the new mother moves in with her mother, and that your mother then provides 24-hour lactation support That seems so foreign for our society, but oh, how helpful would that be? Oh, and tremendous. I mean, and that's part of the grandmother hypothesis where grandmother's fitness 
their fitness increases when they provide support to their grandchildren because, again, they're supporting passing on their genes through multiple generations. So absolutely, you know, grandmothers have a part to play. I don't think in the U.S. many grandmothers would be willing to do that, and I don't know if mothers would accept it, but it's a phenomenal example of how much other cultures recognize the value of lactation and breastfeeding. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking about women who are living very much isolated, maybe in a rural community where the hospital is far away. There may not be any kind of support within the community. There are groups, the La Leche League, for example, mm-hmm. has been supportive, but they're not certified lactation consultants, or are they? You know, La Leche groups do have leaders who are lactation consultants, so IBCLCs, the International Board Certified Lactation Consultants, that do run these La Leche groups. But I'm not sure that lactation support, per se, is provided at these groups in the same way that you would receive on a one-on-one visit or even in a a group visit with a lactation consultant in a clinical setting. Right. I feel like it's more supportive and it's extremely important to have a support group that supports this endeavor altogether. Because Mm -hmm. for some reason, in this country especially, lactation and breastfeeding has this ick factor or this sometimes like negatively perceived. You know, if a mother breastfeeds in public at a restaurant in certain parts of the country, you can see there are some, you know, issues with from other people that express disdain. And it boggles my mind because I'm sorry, the mammary gland is made to produce milk. <laughs> We're mammals and we make milk. So I don't know. But I believe that support from the local community, from neighbors, from family members and spouses and partners are critical for lactation success. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that any kind of support that women can receive is fantastic. We just need to make sure that we really boost that support and make sure that the training is up to speed. We just have 30 seconds left. Do you want to leave our listeners with any last words? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Melinda. It's it's an absolute pleasure to be here. And I just would love to say to anyone who knows anyone who's who's about to deliver a baby or has a baby or knows anyone who has a baby that think of breast milk as not just a way to feed a baby. It's a way to connect with the baby, to bond with the baby, to pass health to the baby. So that baby has the best chance in having lifelong health. Think of breast milk as not just food, but an immune system. Think of it as has cells that protect this baby, that develop a brain in the most optimal way, that gives that baby security, that gives the baby hormones and other factors that provide the baby with the development that he or she needs. So it's not just food, but it's this magical system that mothers can share with their babies. And they should do everything they can to seek support, whether through La Leche, through the internet. There are so many different universities and hospitals that provide lactation support online. And also look us up, International Milk Genomics Consortium. Milk Genomics Consortium will have on its website free modules for mothers to access. Fantastic. 
All right. Well, in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hamelgarn for KOPN in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Jennifer Smilowitz. She is the Director of Scientific and Strategic Development for the International Milk Genomics Consortium. She is also the Associate Director of the Human Studies Research Program for the Foods for Health Institute at UC Davis. I will provide a link to the resources you mentioned, as well as the excellent speakers that you had at your last symposium. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, Melinda. It was a pleasure to be here. 